Welcome to the podcast, Think Biblically, Conversations on Faith and Culture. I'm your host, Scott Ray, Dean of Faculty and Professor of Christian Ethics at Talbot School of Theology at Biola University. We're here with my longtime friend, I won't say old friend, my, long, my longtime friend and colleague in bioethics, Dr. Dennis Hollinger, President Emeritus of Gordon-Conwell Seminary, longtime specialist in Christian ethics. We've been great colleagues and friends in bioethics and Christian ethics in general uh, for a long time. So, Dennis, it's great to have you on with us. Well, thank especially, you, Scott. Great to be with you. Well, and especially you're, you're venturing into a, a new area of application, or newer area of application for you in the application of Christian ethics to the debate on immigration. I so appreciate your willingness to wade into what I think is the hardest part of this discussion, which is the implications of the biblical teaching for public policy. Mm-hmm. And so, I, you know, I realize you're not a, you know, you're not a policy wonk, uh, you're not a public policy specialist, you're not a politician, but wading into the details of what a public policy might look like, what the parameters are, I think is one of the things that's missing in our discussion of Christian ethics mm-hmm. related to immigration. So really appreciate your willingness to sort of jump in there and tackle a very controversial area uh, with a lot of skill and a lot of insight. Well, thank you. It's what we ethicists need to do, well, and that, so it's part of our calling. That is sort of what, we, what, you know, what our schools are paying us to do and what God, God is calling us right. to do. Now, let me, let me ask you this to start out. Um, you point out in some of your work that historically the, the record in the United States, the record on immigration is somewhat mixed. Mm-hmm. That we are, as, as you put it, I think we are inclusive and exclusive right. both at mm-hmm. the same time. What, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Well, of course, we're a nation of immigrants, Scott. We, we need to remember that from the beginning. And many people have found great refuge in this country. And uh, the, uh, the Statue of Liberty and the great inscription there welcomed uh, hundreds of thousands of people over the years in wonderful ways and a broad array of people. But there were people that were excluded from that. And so when we look at our record historically in the United States, there's some sad parts to it. For example, in the late 19th century, for a period of time, Chinese were excluded as immigrants. They could not come into the country for a period of 10 years. There was actually a Supreme Court decision which prohibited them from becoming naturalized citizens. For a period of time, even Italians, and we had a great mass of Italian immigration, they were prohibited because they were Catholics. That was in the context of what was called the Know Nothing Party, anti-Catholic political party. And so when we look at the history, I think we have to acknowledge it's been very mixed. We have welcomed and we have excluded. There's a very fascinating study that was just done by two political scientists, uh, Christians, one from Wheaton College, one from Gordon College, who did a study on religious responses to immigration, and they found that evangelical Christians had the most restricted attitudes towards immigration, white, I should say, white evangelical Christians. And that's sad, I think, when we think about that. What do you think accounts for that? Well, I think there are a number of things. I think a part of it, one of the things they find in the study is that whites in general have more hesitancy about uh, immigration and, and refugee access. And evangelicals, uh, the, they're studying really the white evangelical movement. They point out when you look at Hispanic and African-American churches, the responses are very different. And of course, we have to remember in our history, another sad part is we had a forced immigration of African slaves to this country. 
All of that colors, I think, the background in many ways for us. Okay. Now, in in our respective discipline of Christian ethics, uh, you know, there have been there have been lots of folks who have weighed in on this in, vi- in various points of the debate. But what? How would you summarize what you think Christian ethics has to offer? to the discussion on immigration that maybe we don't see from our secular counterparts? Mm -hmm. Well, our Christian ethic is ultimately rooted in God's Word. And for starters, Scott, when we go back to the Word of God, we find, particularly in the Old Testament, the language of stranger, alien, sojourner, used to describe uh, people who came into uh, the uh, the land of Israel into the Hebrews' land and the way they were to be treated. And so uh, we have texts like uh, Leviticus 19, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you. Very interesting language. And in Ezekiel, the 47th chapter, it talks about the division of the land and how they were divided according to the tribes. But then it says, you are to make provision for the sojourner who resides among you and have had children among you. And of course, then we have Jesus in his uh, statement in Matthew 25, I was a stranger and Mm -hmm. you took me in. The church itself is described as uh, with language of sojourner and alien, all language that goes back to the sojourner language Mm -hmm. of the Old Testament. And I think that's a starting point for us as we think about this issue. Uh, We recognize that uh, the patriarchs were, were aliens. Uh, they were immigrants. Our Savior himself was an immigrant. All of that, mm-hmm. I think, needs to inform our Christian, inform our Christian yeah, ethic. I, no, that's a great observation. I think you can, you can make the case for, the, for most of biblical history that people of God were a people on the move, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, either out of, you know, out of desperation or out of mission. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, the early church was basically kicked out of Jerusalem for the sake of the, the church's mission. yeah. yeah. And so a lot of the a lot of the church has been on the move for mm-hmm. a long time. Mm-hmm. Even though the nation of Israel settled mm-hmm. for a period, for most of their history they were on the move in one mm-hmm. form. And I think it's helpful to realize that the immigration issue, while there are now over 70 million displaced persons in the world today, this is not a new issue. All throughout history there have been migrations all over the world. Okay, so let's delve into the public policy mm-hmm. part of this a bit. Uh, Maybe foundationally, mm-hmm. uh, how, how do you see the Bible impacting the public, public policy dimension of immigration? Well, we're not a theocracy. And so we by that, what do you mean by and that? By term? that, I mean we're, we're not uh, ruled civilly uh, by the mandates of Scripture. Uh, we're a pluralistic society, as most societies are. And uh, so it means there's always a give and take process of a pluralistic culture, pluralistic world when it comes to policies uh, in in a a civitas, in the political situation. And so as Christians, we find ourselves as one among many voices. But it's interestingly, it's interesting that Jesus uses metaphors of salt, light, leaven, which are not metaphors of domination. It assumes one small part in a larger piece of the pie, if you will. 
And I think they're metaphors of influence from within. So I take that to mean that, yes, we're going to have some Christians who were called into government, some who, to use your language a few minutes ago, are policy wonks and who will work very specifically mm-hmm. at the issues. I think all of us as Christians in our voting, in our attitudes, in our interactions with people in general have an influence on the policies of our country. And so we make a distinction between the specific Christian ethic that says this is what the church and the Christian is called to, and then a recognition that the uh, political sphere will never uh, be able to achieve all that that Christian ethic lays out for us. So it's a it's very much a salt leaven kind okay. of orientation. All right. So maybe to be to be a little more specific, then um, in this, how do, how does the scripture understand the role of government in all of this? Yeah, I talk about three main purposes of government. A lot of times we become fixated only on one, and and I think government was ordained by God for three purposes: the main maintenance of order. Secondly, to provide freedom for uh, individuals, for people. That will mean even in bad choices that people make. Mm-hmm. And thirdly, for justice, to procure justice. Now, there are different spheres of justice, different, different definitions of justice. I argue that a healthy government is the one that maintains those three purposes in a creative tension. That whenever you get fixated on one to the exclusion of others, you really run into a great deal of problems. And so as I think about that with reference to the immigration issue, I think a healthy public policy ought to incorporate all three of those. We need to give attention to order. We need to give attention to freedom issues. And we need to give attention to justice and hold those together as we forge a uh, public policy in terms of the technical solutions okay. or strategies. Okay. Now, I, I understand why you started with Romans 13 mm-hmm. in your di- in the discussion in some of your written work mm-hmm. about the, the role of government. But in the immigration debate, I've heard enough discussions yeah. that start with Romans yeah. 13, yeah. And, they, and then they end there. Right. And there's not much else. Yes. Uh, I, had a, I, had a, I had a student tell me when we were talking about this, and he, and he just said, Romans 13, what part of illegal don't you understand? Mm-hmm. End of, and, and he presumed that was the end of the yeah. discussion. Yeah. So how, I mean, I think I understand why you started there. Mm-hmm. How do you keep that discussion from ending there? I think one way is to help people understand how the state is viewed throughout Scripture. And I often like to describe it this way. We have in the Bible two images of the state. The state as servant in Romans 13, where order is the focus, and the metaphor of beast in Revelation 13, where the state is this bestial enemy of the Christian church. You clearly have times when uh, believers disobey or even make derogatory remarks regarding the state. Uh, Jesus on one occasion said, go tell Herod that fox. Mm -hmm. Very negative view Mm -hmm. about a government official. You have the early church uh, refusing to acquiesce to the local government's demands to stop proselytizing, to stop evangelizing in Acts 5. Mm-hmm. And uh, should we be, uh, we need to obey God rather than men. And so they're equating their government as being a very human enterprise, even though it's ordained by God. And so I think for starters, we have to help people understand that the state is not just a servant that always does right. And we know this historically. 
Uh, we know this of all governments historically, that they have done good and they have done wrong. And so I think you start with a more full or biblical understanding of the state. I started with order simply because that's where, that's the most, uh, the thing that's uppermost in people's minds. Mm -hmm. And so you always start where people are in the communication process. Uh, it doesn't mean that I prioritize order in any way over the other two dimensions. Right. Uh, yeah, that, that's clear from, re from reading your work on this. Mm -hmm. But it, it is troubling to me how, how often the discussion sort of starts and ends. Mm -hmm. It's not where it starts, mm -hmm. but it's where it ends. Right. With, with order, right. That, that is the issue. Now, yeah. um, I, I could see somebody who's, say, wa watching the way immigration has happened in Europe, you know, I could see that be a, being a little different scenario than here, mm -hmm. because most, it seems to me most immigrants who come to the U.S. from various parts of Latin America, which mm -hmm. the majority come from, are essentially Catholic. Mm -hmm. They share a theistic view mm -hmm. of the world. They have... You know, yeah, there are some bad apples in there, but for the most part, they have a they have even though they're Catholic, have a very strong Protestant work ethic, mm -hmm. um, and are are fairly high character people from you know out of that religious worldview. Mm -hmm. Whereas whereas in Europe, you get you know, I think the majority of immigrants who have come into Europe in the last decade or so come from a a worldview that's quite different yeah. than that. Yeah. Uh, and some have actually suggested they come from a worldview that's quite alien mm -hmm. to many of the Western traditions that mm -hmm. our democracies hold mm -hmm. dear. Mm -hmm. How would you see a difference between how immigration law ought to be done in the U.S. as opposed to in Europe, given that perhaps maybe the threat to order might be different in Europe? I think than the here? threat to order may be different in different contexts, but there's always a potential threat to disorder. I think the threat is far more in our imagination than it is in reality, and we have studies that demonstrate this. Uh, for example, undocumented immigrants among us uh, actually have a very low rate of, of crime. And, and so we, we have, have a lot of false assumptions out there. Uh, I think in the European context, um, obviously they are needing to accommodate, uh, because many are coming from uh, African countries, uh, a large number of uh, Muslims. Uh, and then, of course, the whole uh, crisis in Syria has mm -hmm. led to uh, mass migrations. Uh, the, it simply looks different, but it seems to me that the Christian call is still the same in the European context and in the United States context. Uh, whether people are coming from a quote-unquote Christian background, an animistic background, say, of parts of Africa, as you have, or a Muslim background. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, let's, let's take that distinction between uh, the, the moral mandate mm -hmm. and the public policy mm -hmm. issues. How, how would you distinguish between the church's moral obligation to mm -hmm. migrants and the the, the public pol what the public policy mm -hmm. ought to be mm -hmm. because I, you know I listen to some people who are who are very compassionate and basically say you know our neighbor is anyone whose need mm -hmm. you can meet mm -hmm. that sounds a lot like an open border mm -hmm. policy mm -hmm. that we just let in whoever whoever needs to come in and we're obligated to care mm -hmm. for them I take it you don't hold to an open border public policy so how, how do you balance the, ma the mandate mm -hmm. morally with, you know, good common sense public yeah. policy? 
Well, the church doesn't have a responsibility for maintaining order. It has a responsibility to call the state to encourage order. I think that's an important distinction. That's, that's a very helpful. Uh, the church, uh, hopefully and gladly, Scott, doesn't have an army. <laughs> uh, it doesn't have border guards. Uh, and so our mandate is really, I think, at the personal level and at the church level to show mercy and love and acceptance. And I want to add uh, the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ. I mean, immigration has an incredible opportunity for evangelism. And let's not forget that. Uh, and there are wonderful stories that are beginning to merge out of some of the horrific stories mm -hmm. of immigration, where churches are reaching out and showing the love of Christ. And let's remember, when people come, they're often in desperate straits. They're leaving either uh, uh, very significant poverty or uh, violence, war, uh, hostility in their own country. They're coming into a context where they don't know the language. They're coming into a setting where the food is different, the culture is different, everything is different. And in the middle of that, to have a people who reach out to them and care for them and love them, even though some at the same time they're saying to the government, yes, make sure that order is one aspect of the public policy. Mm -hmm. Even though they're doing that yeah. simultaneously, uh, they're showing the love of Christ and reflecting the gospel in their ministry to people. Yeah, I think some, yeah, that, that's a great point so, uh, to see that as an opportunity. Sometimes I think we forget, though, that you know there, there are some countries that are sending immigrants as missionaries mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to the West. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and you know, the, it's, not, it's not uncommon, as you know, yeah. for you know, people who are on the move into into the United States yep. to bring a very vibrant Christian faith That's right. with them. That's right. Uh, and then I think there's, you know, we, we have a lot, the, the, the majority country, I think, has a lot to learn from the immigrant church. Yeah, yeah. Because it seems to be pretty vibrant and alive yeah. uh, in, in most cases. So let me, And I was just going to yeah, say on that point, Scott, that my understanding is that in Great Britain, for example, and you, you have in kind of the... Uh, the more industrial sector of Great Britain, the kind of middle part, Manchester mm -hmm. and so forth, in that area of, of England, uh, you have a large number of Muslims who have come, but you also have significant numbers of Christians who've come from African mm -hmm. countries. And the turning to Christ in the Islamic community there is by and large through the African missionaries in, in, in yeah. the UK. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, let's be a little more specific. Going, going back to your order, freedom, mm -hmm. and justice, what does, that, what does that leg on the stool uh, of justice look like in terms of public policy yeah. for immigrants coming into the U.S.? Well, the difficult thing about justice is we have different definitions of justice. And here I'm talking about uh, the distributive sphere of justice, that is, what are the rights, goods, uh, opportunities that we distribute to people in a society. You have three basic definitions. One is merit. Justice has to do with what is owed people. So a merit definition says you are owed in accordance to what you merit by your actions, by your abilities, and so forth. You merit what you receive. Second is the definition of equality, an egalitarian model. Some will go as far as saying uh, equal outcomes, but most egalitarians want equal access, equal access to jobs, to pay, to housing, 
to opportunities uh, within society. All people, regardless of their religion, regardless of their race, regardless of their gender, uh, their sex, uh, they have a, a right to equal access of the various uh, opportunities in mm-hmm. a given society. That's an egalitarian model. Then there's a third definition. It's called need justice. And it's picking up on some of the, uh, the Old Testament commands regarding showing justice to the poor, to the widow, to the sojourner, to the downtrodden who are among you. So what is owed is on the basis of a need. Now, my contention is that there's a biblical basis for all three. For example, on the merit side, uh, if a person doesn't uh, work, they shall not eat, Thessalonians. Mm -hmm. Uh, You have Jesus' parable of the talents, where a person is rewarded for taking the two two people in the parable Mm -hmm. are rewarded for taking what they have and uh, and, uh, from it investing and developing more. The one who went and hid and didn't do that is, Mm -hmm. uh, is judged. And so you have their sense of, uh, of notion of merit. And so when it comes to immigration, I think we could say this, people who obey the laws and the procedures and follow the procedures ought to merit a priority over those who don't, who say come into the country illegally. Now, life's never quite so clear Mm -hmm. and and pure as all of that. And so we have to also make sure that we have an egalitarian aspect. And I think you can make a case for equality. We're we're creating the image of God. Uh, There's just Mm -hmm. all kinds of things that kind of point. I I think even the story of the Exodus becomes a paradigm for freedom out of spiritual darkness, but also uh, a a kind of individual, personal, even civil freedom that we grant to people. And so you have the egalitarian aspect in which we are not going to discriminate on the basis of what country they come from, color of their skin, the religion, etc. And then you have need justice, which means that we also give special attention to those who are coming from context where there is great oppression, where, uh, where, where people are, are fleeing from persecution, where they are fleeing mm-hmm. from warfare, and they come as desperate, desperate people. Mm-hmm. And we're not simply moved by our mercy in that, but there's a principle also of need justice. I think that public policy, we ought to say, how can we incorporate those three? Now, that's not easy to do, granted. Yeah, but it may, seems maybe, to me there's a place yeah, for maybe all three Maybe some may conflict. And they may conflict with at others. times. And and we, that's, have, we may have to make choices. And we do um, that all the time in ethics, and we do it in public policy. We, we realize there are multiple goods, and sometimes there are multiple evils, and we have to choose between them. That's simply part of the murkiness of this fallen world we live in. So that any public policy on immigration is not likely to be perfect. It's not going to be uh, a, a kingdom-built policy. That's for certain. That's, that's, uh, that's, a, that's a good way to put it. So would, would you say that the, the church then has moral obligations to needy immigrants regardless of whether they are documented or not? I think so. I mean, here we get into some of, I think, very serious discussions. Uh, should the church, for example, be a sanctuary? That was my, undocumented? my, my next question. You know, let's question. just talk about that for a little yeah. bit. And, um, and I think that's a tough question. I think to some degree you have to look at the specific context that you're in and, and try to understand what is actually going on. Uh, what is the threat to people's life by agents who are tracking them down and so forth, deporting them, and where are they being deported to? 
We have to look at that. That's a great question. Uh, we don't, some, often, uh, we, yeah, we don't we, often think about you that. You know, we forget, for example, that uh, initially we rejected Jews during the Holocaust initially. Fortunately, we finally turned around. But there was a period of time way, in the very earliest days where we responded, yeah. no, you cannot come to these shores. And we know what happened when they weren't allowed. We don't want the same thing to happen. I think there our sense of, of both justice and mercy have to kick in. And so there could, I think there come situations when we look at the context and we say, yes, there is grounds for, I'm going to use the language of a civil disobedience, understanding exactly what mm-hmm. we are doing, not out of disrespect for the government, not out of disrespect for the policies, but because of a larger commitment to justice. And then, if you will, a kind of witness to the mm-hmm. state that says to the state, we need to be attentive to these circumstances that are driving people into these very unfortunate migrations that are taking place. All right. Now, I know, I know this is an unfair question, so mm-hmm. b- bear, bear with me. But, you know, let's, let's, let's assume for, for the moment that there's a lot of immigration law that's broken today. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if you could write some of the laws, what, what kinds of things would you, would you like to fix? Mm-hmm. You know, in our public policy on immigration, I'm asking for something comprehensive. Yeah. Just give me some examples of well, some things you'd like to fix. Let me let me just say that immigration is not a single issue. Uh, we have border issues. We have image. Uh, we have issues regarding what are the proper procedures by which a person comes into the country. We have deportation issues. When people have come illegally, how do we handle that? We have issues surrounding children. People who uh, were, were brought here by their parents through no choice of their own, who were born yeah, here born to undocumented, here. Mm-hmm. and of course the whole dreamers situation, which we've got to give attention to, and the current politicization is really unfortunate because we've got to address that, and the politicization is keeping both sides of the aisle from addressing mm-hmm. it. So I think as, as we look at this, uh, if I w- was able to in some way put something together, I'm, I don't have technical expertise. What I would do is draw key people who have knowledge in each of those spheres. So it would be lawyers who understand the legal process. It would be guards who are on the border, who, who every day are looking at what is happening mm-hmm. there on the border, uh, who would bring the expertise from the various spheres that relate and say to them, given our commitments to order and to freedom and to justice, recommend to us the best possible solutions we can possibly find. Okay. Now, one, one final question. What would you say to the church about their obligation to the, the immigrants in their midst, documented or yeah. not? Well, God always brings people into our midst for such a time as this. And we are in a time when we have people at our doorsteps, and I think we have to say that even though they have come uh, for very unfortunate reasons, out of the destitution, out of the violence in their own home country, even though they have sometimes come illegally, uh, and some have come legally, some are here through no fault of their own, it's an opportunity for us to really demonstrate the love and mercy of Christ and at the same time bear witness to the larger government of a better way. Dennis, thank you. This is I so appreciate your willingness to delve into some of the weeds, not, not all the way in the weeds, but uh, to, to start talking about 
how the Bible relates to our public policy on this, because there's, you know, we've had a lot, of, we've had a lot of good discussion on the issue. Not a lot of it has been focused by people who care about the Scripture, mm-hmm. but who also care about good public policy yeah. too. Yeah. So I appreciate your willingness to wade into that. This has been so helpful, so insightful. Thank you so much for being with us. And uh, the immigration debate will be ongoing. Be interesting to see, be interesting to compare some of what you suggested here about freedom, order, and justice with how the different you know, political parties and platforms deal with immigration going forward. Well, thank you for having me, and thank you for addressing this issue in your well, podcast. This has been an episode of the podcast Think Biblically Conversations on Faith and Culture. To learn more about us and today's guest, Dr. Dennis Hollinger, and to find more episodes, go to biola.edu forward slash think biblically. That's biola.edu forward slash think biblically. If you enjoyed today's conversation, give us a rating on your podcast app and be sure to share it with a friend. Thanks so much for listening. And remember, think biblically about everything. <laughs>